Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We are just days away from the big feast. And I'm here to share inspiration and creative ideas for the ultimate Thanksgiving. I'm really excited about a great hour of radio, so don't touch your dial because the delicious conversation starts right here and right now. Why do you cook? Well, I love to cook because I celebrate with food, because Thanksgiving brings us together to carry on traditions, to wow, maybe to make a few new traditions of your own, because food is comforting and it's how I show my love. So whatever the reason, whatever the dish, it is my goal to make sure that your Thanksgiving is truly scrumptious. And this show brings you fresh ingredients and recipes and kitchen wisdom every week from celebrity chefs and authors, wine experts, and culinary experts in the field. So check out chefjamie.com. It is a bevy of Thanksgiving ideas, in fact. Uh, A Thanksgiving headquarters, I would like to call it. So everything you need for baking and roasting and chopping, of course, to let the eating begin, posted at chefjamie.com. I have lots of recipes for leftovers as we come to the end of the week. But as we plan for the traditional turkey, you'll find lots of turkey inspiration, a bunch of make-ahead recipes so that you can do it right and stress-free, irresistible pies posted at chefjamie.com and a few more ways to get greens on your table this Thanksgiving holiday. Of course, post it on my homepage. You'll also find a link where you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. You'll get an email with recipes and links from this show. And you can always find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Become a friend and a fan at Chef Jamie Gwen. Okay, so I thought that I would kick off this show sharing my best Thanksgiving secrets. As we plan for the big day, just four days away, I do hope that these tips bring you some stress relief and some inspired ideas for making your feast truly the best ever. So we all know an immense amount of planning goes into preparing a Thanksgiving feast and seeing that it's Sunday. If you're like me, I am shopping for all of my dry goods, getting my cranberry pear and ginger chutney made this afternoon because it tastes better when it has a few days for all the flavors to meld together. And I am planning to make brown butter pie dough this evening so I can have my pie ready and set in place for its filling. But since you eat with your eyes first, I didn't want to leave my table out of all the fun. I like to set my dining room table, in fact, in advance of the holiday. And I'll actually set out my platters and what I plan to serve in with little post-it notes marking where the stuffing goes and where the parsnip and pear puree will be served from. It's a great way to be organized in advance. But you don't want to leave your table to the last minute. And it shouldn't be a really costly endeavor either. So I thought I'd give you some seasonal ideas for a centerpiece because the ingredients you have sitting on the counter might already make for a beautiful tablescape. Now, I love a big, beautiful bunch of flowers and my sweet husband brings them to me weekly, in fact. Yes, I'm a very lucky girl. But I have to say that I think for your Thanksgiving table, gourds and those pretty little pumpkins 
that's what those are for. They make a beautiful centerpiece. In fact, if you line beautiful pumpkins with stems down the center of your table, or even a simple bowl of apples or pears with a few pretty green leaves from the garden will do the trick as well. I also like to hollow out mini pumpkins and set tea light candles inside and then use those to decorate the table. Another sweet idea, since we are giving thanks this holiday, why not spark some conversation at your table with friends and family by setting out some little cards at each place setting and ask everyone at your table to write down what they're thankful for and then pass the cards around to mix them up and have everyone read one sentiment. I think that's a wonderful way to give thanks. And then listen here, this might be my best chef's tip of the hour. I have a secret ingredient for Thanksgiving, in fact. So when you're shopping at the market this afternoon, or if you happen to have a bottle in your pantry, why not take a cue from Asian chefs? A bottle of fish sauce will be your secret weapon. Trust me, I have to tell you, for Asian dishes, fish sauce is the workhorse ingredient. But when you add a drop or two into your Thanksgiving staples, like your stuffing and your gravy, you get that subtle, salty sweetness that adds just enough umami to heighten our favorite flavors this holiday. So try it, just a few drops at a time. In fact, maybe try it while you're making Sunday supper tonight and see what you think. But trust me, it's amazing. And you'll thank me later. And by the way, you're welcome. Uh, I thought too that I would share this show introduction by giving you the answers that you're looking for to your holiday Queries. Well, if you have a culinary question, by the way, on Thanksgiving morning, in between my putting my stuffing into the oven and finishing up my brown butter pecan pie, I will be chatting live on my website at chefjamie.com for your last minute Thanksgiving questions. So if you'll go to the website and look for the chat box on the bottom right, I will be running back and forth from my computer in hopes that I can inspire you, provide a last minute recipe, or save the day with a cooking method or a preparation that might just help you out on the big day of the feast. Now, with that said, I've received lots of questions in advance of the holiday, and one of them, in fact, came from a Facebook friend who asked about how to make the ultimate gravy. And I'm always searching for a way to save time on Thanksgiving and reduce the last minute stress. So I posted under Think Like a Chef on the website at chefjamie.com. It's my goal, by the way, to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. I've posted how to make a make-ahead turkey gravy. It is a wonderful and tasty way to make the complications of the big feast just a little bit easier. Now, you can make your own turkey stock from wings and necks from the butcher, but you can buy store-bought broth as well. Just look for good quality low-sodium chicken or turkey broth. And then follow my recipe for a simple solution to the last-minute stovetop gravy. You see, I make a gravy way ahead of time, and then the trick is to add those last minute extras like the pan drippings or any add-ins. Maybe you saute mushrooms or oysters for your signature gravy. And this is a grand gravy recipe that I've posted because it's guaranteed to be lump-free and delicious. 
You'll find all of the tools you need and the recipe posted under Think Like a Chef. And by the way, don't forget the freshly chopped herbs at the end, like parsley or thyme leaves or even a little bit of freshly chopped sage because it adds that beautiful herbaceousness. Now, when it comes to making pie dough ahead of time, I am a great believer that you can actually make your pie dough, roll it out and lay it in into your pie plates, stack them and freeze them in advance of the holidays. So you can do that now. And you'll find a great pie dough recipe, in fact, on the site. And then last but not least, I received a great question from Robert, who wanted to know how to make the ultimate mashed potatoes. Well, I will tell you, Robert, that I believe every great cook should have a potato ricer. It is that handheld hinged tool that presses your potato through the perforations. And it's almost like a a giant garlic press. And you get these light, fluffy, beautifully textured mashed potatoes. The other tip I have for you, my best chef's tip, is that you always warm your dairy products, whether it be a mixture of heavy cream and creme fraiche, as I like to use, warm the dairy before it goes into the hot potatoes and you'll get a far more elegant, beautiful, fluffy, light, gorgeous potato. You'll find lots more inspiration and hopefully a place for some culinary sanity at chefjamie.com this week. I've posted my weekly dish. It's a roasted parsnip and pear puree and a beautiful compliment to turkey and ham. Also, my brown butter pecan pie, as mentioned, is shared. A cocktail you'll love. Why not kick off your Thanksgiving feast with a cider champagne cocktail, in fact. And coming up, you're going to hear from grand guests. And I've posted Dory Greenspan's canels on the website. This is a recipe you won't want to miss. Stay tuned because we have unique and authentic and wonderfully inspired techniques to share with you to make sure that your feast is a great success. Coming up, Rick Rogers. He'll be here next. He is the king of Thanksgiving, in fact, and he's sharing his big book of sides. Plus, she is Dory Greenspan, the pastry aficionado, and she's going to teach you to be a better baker. So stay tuned. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Don't touch your dial. I'll be right back. Just days before the big feast, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with the best culinary thinkers. He's back, and I'm so delighted because if there were such a thing as a turkey whisperer, well, then Rick Rogers would be it. He's the big daddy of turkey, also known as Mr. Thanksgiving, and he's roasted more than 500 gorgeous turkeys over the past 20 years. Well, his new cookbook, with, by the way, 45 cookbooks previously under his belt, is all about the accompaniments to your centerpiece, whether it be turkey or roast beef or ham or the showpiece of your holiday table, you need his new cookbook. It's called The Big Book of Sides, and Rick has compiled more than 450 foolproof side dishes that will pair with your holiday meals and all of the meals in between. So whether you're planning a quick weeknight dinner or a glorious holiday 
holiday feast, you will never be stumped for a side dish again. He is the acclaimed cookbook author you know and love. Rick Rogers is here. And I'm so glad to have you back, Rick. Welcome. It's always a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you, Jamie. Thank you. Okay. We were trying to yeah. figure out how many years we've been talking turkey. I know. I, I think that it is almost the full 15 that I've had the, yeah. the blessing on the radio. And I think it's amazing. And I thank you for coming back, as always, year after year, uh, for some turkey talk. I think it's amazing that you can reinvent and really elevate the beauty of the classics as you do time and time again. And I think that you handcrafted some of our favorites in this new book. So congratulations to you. My chore was with this book is to have it be useful to somebody who is a beginning cook, yet still inspire somebody who's an old hand in the kitchen. I think that applies to novices and connoisseurs alike. So you might mm -hmm. have the signature staples that you have every year on your Thanksgiving table, but this is the year to elevate them, to create inspired garnishes, to add that one unique ingredient that makes everybody ooh and awe. You know what I, th I think, though, is Thanksgiving is a little tough because if you don't serve a big bowl of nostalgia, sometimes people <laughs> are, <laughs> are disappointed. So what, what I've done is I, you know, sometimes I will make two versions of the same dish just to keep everybody happy. And my classic story is the time I, did, I made my homemade cranberry sauce. And my brothers absolutely freaked out that there wasn't canned cranberry sauce <laughs> in grandma's Isn't that dish bowl. That right. was, yeah. And so, you know, they had to run out to the store and get their cranberry sauce. Now they ask me, well, where's your fresh cranberry sauce? Right. See, <laughs> you just have to get them on the bandwagon. Yeah. And, yes. you know, and I also do it with stuffing because I have um, a cousin who married into the family who was raised in the East Coast. And so his idea of stuffing or dressing, whatever you want to call it, is oyster. Mm. Now, the rest of the family would run away screaming if I put <laughs> oyster dressing <laughs> on the table. So what I do is I make a small batch. It's still based on the big batch of the of my family's recipe, and I put that in the neck cavity of the bird. Oh, see, I love that idea. Yeah. So this way, I, I have two dressings pretty much for the price of one. I like the idea of having multiple stuffings, maybe because I'm a stuffing addict, and I make mine <laughs> in muffins, Rick. I'll, make, I'll stuff the bird because I happen to love the flavor that the turkey itself imparts in the stuffing. But then I make individual muffins of stuffing in a muffin pan because I like the crispy edges, and I set that out instead of rolls. This shows you um, how personal Thanksgiving is to yes. everybody because I'm a soft stuffing person. Oh, you okay? We can definitely be friends. They're soft for you and crispy, Let's crunchy edges for me. <laughs> I like that idea. Let's talk stuffing and dressing. Uh, let's start there right. specifically because I went through 450 pages of your book and 450 mm -hmm. foolproof recipes. And very selfishly, I marked my favorites and I'd love to dish with you about them. But stuffing and dressing might be the second centerpiece to a Thanksgiving feast. And I love mm -hmm. that you have a classic approach, but you've also incorporated some new flavors and the fact that kale is king in this country. I love the idea of kale and cornbread combined. Yeah, I think that um, one of the tips I want to, I, let's start by saying that I have a ham, 
kale and cornbread dressing, mm. and it, it really is wonderful. And sometimes I'll put uh, some pecans in there, too. Nice. Uh, and it's really, you just basically saute the kale. You want to be sure that it's cooked. Um, I'm not a fan of the raw kale, even though there's raw salads. This, this really goes uh, nicely with the ham to have it be cooked. But if you're going to make a cornbread dressing of any ilk, I really recommend that you make your own cornbread with very little sugar. I've seen many dressings, um, how bad dressings happen to good people, <laughs> is when people use a corn muffin mix that's very sweet. Yes. And then your, your dressing is too sweet to really enjoy. So I have, I have a recipe in the book for um, stuffing that is just enough sugar to heighten the flavor of the corn, but not so much like you feel like you're eating pancakes. And if you're making a traditional bread stuffing, I know that mm-hmm. you're not just in years of our friendship and past conversations uh, on the radio, you're, you're not opposed to store-bought stuffing mix. It tends to be uh, a little tougher and drier than if we were to make our own croutons. But um, for this year, do you have a, a significant preference? The only preference that I have is based on time. When I'm really, really busy and I don't have the time to make my own croutons, I am happy to get a bag of stuffing mix, which is different than, than the stovetop stuffing in the box. I'm yes. talking about the cellophane package. I, I kind of like that. Um, to me, that's old-fashioned flavor, and I'm fine with it. When I make my own croutons, I will take really firm white sandwich bread and slice that up and then let it sit out overnight. Anytime you're making a bread stuffing, let your stuffing stale. Yes. Because that way it'll soak up the uh, stock without it having the um, mushy. Too, too soft or mushy. I agree. And, and on my Thanksgiving planner, where, by the way, we've posted a couple of your extraordinary sides from the big book of sides at chefjamie.com, today is the day that you start planning for stuffing on Thursday. So you can cut your bread cubes and leave them out to stale, as you mentioned, right? And yeah. be well prepared. Maybe Sunday is a little too far ahead. Maybe tomorrow, but, Tuesday morning? Yeah. Well, I actually, I actually do it on Wednesday, but you, you still do. can do okay. it whenever it's easy for you and then freeze it. Right. Okay. And Or I'll just bag the croutons and leave them on the counter. And I like a mix of breads, too. If you have yeah. a couple heels left of, you know, let's say a, a rosemary bread or something herbaceous, uh, do you agree to adding it to the mix? The only thing that I find sometimes goes a little bit too far over the edge is sourdough. Okay. You know, so I'm a little bit careful with that. If I have all sourdough, that's fine. I think the number one tip I want to tell people about stuffing is to saute the vegetables and especially the meat the Mm. night before. I've timed it. (laughs) It takes quite a lot of time to chop all those onions and celery and parsley and herbs to get them ready on a Thursday morning. And uh, so I'll do that again a day or two ahead of time. Then on the morning of Thanksgiving, I'll saute them in a skillet until they're nice and hot. Smart. Put a hot stuffing inside of a cold bird. I know that sounds counterintuitive. But that warm, freshly made stuffing is going to cook to the safe temperature of 160, mm. much better than if you put an ice-cold stuffing that you've had in the refrigerator all night long. Very important tip. 
It is the new cookbook release from award-winning cookbook author Rick Rogers. He is no doubt the king of Thanksgiving. So if you are looking for great inspiration and advice, it is not too late to learn from the best. His website, Rick Rogers, and it's R-I-C-K-R-O-D-G-E-R-S dot com will give you tremendous insight to truly delicious dishes. You can find him tweeting all about the delicious celebrations throughout the year on Twitter at Cookbook Rick. And of course, you can find excerpted recipes from The Big Book of Sides, the new cookbook release from Rick Rogers with more than 450 recipes posted at chefjamie.com with a direct link as well. Can't wait for another holiday to come around so that you'll come back on. And many happy returns to you. Thank you. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving Happy to Thanksgiving to you, Rick. There's more turkey talk in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Okay, get your sweet tooth ready. I truly adore this pastry aficionado, hailed a culinary guru by the New York Times, a two-time James Beard Award winner, and the author of 10 cookbooks. And yes, she's done it again. With incredible enthusiasm and growing passion, she is the amazing Dory Greenspan. And her new outstanding and exciting release called Baking Chez Moi has just been literally released into the cookbook arena. And it features homey, doable, baking recipes that are beautiful, just in time for the holidays. Dory has more than a few fabulous new recipes up her sleeve, filled with all of that wonderful enthusiasm and humility that she brings us those beautiful, inspired dishes with. And all of these new recipes, in fact, are very much intertwined by the French knack for elegant simplicity. So she's here to share her newest irresistible collection. And I am so glad to welcome you back, Dory. Hi there. Hi. I'm so happy to be with you again. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, how do you keep doing it time and time again, Dory? I think it's amazing. This is your 11th release, and it is as inspired, if not more, than... All of your prose, and uh, it inspires me. I, I'm amazed flipping through the book and reading page after page. This is a, a, another beautiful, extraordinary cookbook. I just, it's really funny. Last week on Twitter, you know, that that giver of all news, yes. um, there was a mention from Eat Your Books, which is a website that indexes cookbooks. And it said it had indexed all of my recipes from all of my books, and it had 2,500 of my recipes. Oh, my. I had no idea that I had published so many recipes. And what's so exciting to me is that every time I start creating recipes or I start talking to people and gathering recipes from people, there's something that surprises me. I feel like I'm so lucky to be working you know, in the food world, as we say, because I'm always learning. I'm always finding new recipes. I'm traveling and learning about people and their culture. 
it's a great, great field. So I am, I'm always excited by the work. I think that's an extraordinary number you should be so very proud of. Mostly. I'm oh, my. Surprised. Surprise. <laughs> I, well, um, I can tell you maybe not 2,500, but many of the recipes from your rep- repertoire um, are tested often in my kitchen. Um, and it is said that you have a PhD in pastry. Those that know you and love you from years of travel, most specifically through France. So I would love if you would, as sort of an introduction of the book, for you to share your very uncomplicated take on what are these contemporary French recipes. Debunk the myth. It doesn't have to take three days and 17 hours, right? Jamie, it's so easy to debunk the myth because this is this is the bottom line. And it was something that I discovered. I've lived part-time in Paris for almost 20 years now. And I have great, great friends in Paris. Um, the bottom line is that real French people don't bake. <laughs> they don't bake. <laughs> they, when it's a special occasion, when company's coming for dinner... Unlike us, we Americans who will be happy to bake, you know, we're project bakers, we'll bake for a weekend, we bake for a hobby. The French don't do that. They don't bake, they buy. And when they, when they, and they have pastry shops on every other corner it, that are gorgeous. Isn't that fabulous? When they do bake, they bake for their family, they bake for the people they love and think of as family, mm. and they bake things that are remarkably simple. And it took me, it's like a, what, what, what French people are baking at home, I call it comfort baking because it's really like that. It's generous, it's satisfying, it's simple. What they bake at home is a parallel, it's a, it's a parallel universe to what we think of as French pastry, to mm. what we know from pastry shops. I think that's fascinating. I, and I think it's proof that your time there. Um, has shed light on the fact that those of us that love to cook or love to bake can be inspired, can create from what is the French style, unknowingly as a, a simple style, really. And and different signature sweets from different regions are what make France a, a baking nation, right? A nation with with a sweet tooth and an appreciation of of dessert, yes, and and this repertoire of really simple desserts. So here's what happened. I would, you know, I started to work on this book, and as I said, I had very good friends in 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 Paris, and they come to our home for dinner, we go to theirs, and I said to them, you know, stop treating me like company. I don't want that pastry shop dessert. Would you make? for me what you would make on a Tuesday night when your kids have homework to do and you're busy and and they would make a dessert that I would fall in love with a very simple cake or a poached fruit dessert or a peau de creme um, and I would say I love this may I have the recipe please and they would say no <laughs> and I was shocked <laughs> they would always say no 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 it's too simple for you you don't want this and so I really ended up having to beg to get these recipes, and I'm thrilled to have them. And I really feel like I could not have collected these recipes if I didn't live in France, if I didn't have these friends. Sure. Because this is really not what you see. What French people bake at home are what's well, so similar to what we do, um, loaf cakes, which they call 
call, I love this name, they call them either weekend cakes or ghetto voyage travel cakes, mostly because they're such good keepers. Yes, of um, course. They'll make something really simple, like, um, oh, like the plain and simple almond cake, which just takes seconds to put together, really. Or the, I love, one of my favorite recipes in the book is um, the custardy apple square. So it's just sliced apples. And you whisk together essentially a crepe batter, mix the apples with the batter, put it in the oven, and 40 minutes later you have the best dessert. And that's best because you can actually eat it warm. You don't have to wait. Dory, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, the pastry aficionado continues to wax poetic on French sweets. Don't go away. We'll be right back. She is Dory Greenspan, the true pastry guru, and she's baking French sweets from her new book, Baking Chez Moi, with us. Dory? I want to come back to what you said about um, putting the food in the center of the table. Yes. When I wrote Around My French Table, I thought of the food in that book as being elbows on the table food, Mm. the kind of food that you do put in the center of the table and everybody is talking to one another and just eating as the conversation is going on. Yes. And I think Mm. that so many of the recipes and certainly the style of the recipes in Baking Chez Moi is also elbows on the table. And what you find in France is that um, cooks do... Home cooks do cook the way, you know, in that casual way that you talked about. And they call it cooking opif, A-U-P-I-F. And every time they say the word opif, they take their index finger and touch their nose. Opif. Opif. And it means kind of by feel, by touch, casually. Huh. What a it great means, term. It's so wonderful. Cooking opif. Um, it's not as usual in baking. But I have to say that the French... Home bakers have, they do have a more casual attitude, you're right, about baking than we do. They'll change a spice without thinking about it. They'll use a different size pan than the one that the recipe might say. Hmm. Um, with, um, with desserts that are not so much, you're not cakes or cookies where you really do have to respect the proportion of ingredients, they'll do Anything. They'll just and, and a great example of this is Laurent's slow roasted spiced pineapple. A great recipe in the book. It came from well, it didn't come from my hairdresser. It came from the hairdresser who works in the chair next to my hairdresser. And we were talking about food. We always do. Right. Wait, and, Dory. Dory. Th- yes. This is the perfect time to keep everyone listening attuned to their radio. May I ask you to pause there when we come back? The hairdresser cake story. Please stay with us. I would love to. I would love to have you. Thank you. She is Dory Greenspan, the charming and extraordinary baking talent that has changed the way Americans view French food and specifically French baking. In her new book release called Baking Chez Moi, there's more with you and me and the great Dory Greenspan right after this. Don't touch your dial. We'll be right back.
Welcome back as the delicious conversation continues. These are the simple sweets you long for. Dory Greenspan bakes every day and she's bringing recipes from her Paris home to your home everywhere and anywhere. Pick up where you left off. We were talking about the recipe you acquired, not from your hairdresser, but from the hairdresser in the chair next door. In the chair right next Next door. So Isabel cuts my hair. But she doesn't cook. She gives me restaurant recommendations. Laurent works in the chair next to her, and he cooks every weekend. So I always try to get my hair cut on the day he's just coming back from his cooking weekend. I love it. And one day I was having my hair cut, and Laurent showed me a picture of this pineapple dessert that he made. And it was beautiful. Mm. It was chunks of pineapple that looked almost candied. And mm, I said, Laurent, I want to make this. How yes. did you do it? And he said, oh, you know, you just it's just pineapple. And I had some spices that I just put in. And I mixed up jam and orange juice and some brandy. You could use anything. He said, you can do it. And then he went off to cut someone's hair. <laughs> and so I tried to make it. And it was good, but it didn't have that beautiful look that Laurent had. So I went back. I said, Laurent, I made it, but it's not quite right. I think maybe what kind of, of jam did you use? He said, oh, you know, anything. Use, use marmalade. Use apple. You know, and, and he got busy again. Third time I went back, and I had made it, and I said, okay, let's really talk about this. I said, I used about four tablespoons of jam. He said, Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You need the whole jar. Ah. I said, ah. I said, and the orange juice? Oh, oh. And he took his index finger and his thumb. He said, you know, like about this much, which was so much more than I had used. And the alcohol? He said, oh, anything you want and as much as you want. As much as you want. (laughs) So I went home and worked on the recipe and actually turned it into a recipe. But it's this, this 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 dessert. It's fabulous, and you know what it would be great for? It would be great at the holidays because it's light. It's so full of flavor, and after the full festive meals that we have, it would be wonderful to have this on the table. Don't give up the pecan pie for Thanksgiving. Don't give up the pumpkin pie, but serve this as well, and it's just a refreshing finish to. A, a big meal. For those that love cannelay, they will understand my addiction. You so inspired me. The book arrived. I went page by page. Um, we scheduled our interview. I ordered my cannelay silicone mold and Yay. it arrived two days ago. So um, this beautiful little cake that I was first introduced to in Paris myself has, I think, the best caramelization maybe of anything I've tasted. Would you define it, describe it, teach us? Well, a cannelay, the cannelay is named for its its shape, which is crenellated. The traditional cannelay is made in a copper mold that's, um, I'm going to say grease, but that's the wrong word, with beeswax. Coated, right? Coated, Traditionally coated. With beeswax. Yes. But now... You and I are using silicone molds and making delicious cannelay. And the trademark of a good cannelay is a crust that you said caramelized, and you're right, but it needs to be caramelized until it's almost burnt. It should be 
really, really dark. So how um, do you know when to pull them, Dory? Okay, it's easy. So either using the tip of a small knife or a little bamboo skewer, pull one of the cannelé out and just look at it. Okay. I've given you oven times, and they're pretty accurate. But everybody's oven, you know, is somewhat different. So just pull one out and look at it. And you want to be just over the edge mm. of brown. And what you'll get is this delicious little pastry with caramel crust and a really soft, delicious, mm. fragrant custardy inside. I can't it's an amazing wait. little pastry. Yes, I can't wait. Oh, you've so inspired me. Um, and I could talk for days to you, um, but I'm grateful that you are ever present in my kitchen. The new very significant book release, the 11th in Dory Greenspan's repertoire. Having been a home baker for more than 40 years, a part-time Parisian for the better part of two decades, she says she's still learning something new every day, and you can too. Find inspiration from the new book called Baking Chez Moi. It has just released, and it is the new hit from pastry aficionado Dory Greenspan. Dory, it is always a pleasure. I'm sorry to cut you short. I wish we had three more days Jamie, to talk. I love talking to you. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. so much. And let me know how your cannelé come out. Yeah. I know they're going to be perfect. Th- thank you. I- I'll send you a photo. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I hope that I've loaded your plate with ideas and recipes and tips that are easy to make and hard not to love. And I'm always spicing up your life at chefjamie.com where you'll find a guide to recipes, wine pairings, ingredients, podcasts, and of course, exclusive content. I like to leave you with my last bite or what I like to call my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation. And I love the beautiful sweet spices of the season, especially pumpkin pie spice. But if you go the store-bought route, Pumpkin pie spice blends can vary, but typically they contain the sweet-smelling spices like cinnamon and nutmeg and ginger, right? Before you run out and pay an arm and a leg for the blended spice, why not make your own? You could head to your pantry right now and make your own homemade pumpkin pie spice, which will cost less than buying a big jar of something pre-made, and it's also better to make a smaller batch so that you use it up before it loses its flavor. And then you can always adjust the formula, too, to what you like. Maybe go for some extra cinnamon or skip the cloves. And trust me, once you've made your own, you will never buy the commercial blend again. To see what's cooking online, don't forget to visit chefjamie.com. And keep in mind that I will be chatting live for all your last-minute Thanksgiving questions posted at chefjamie.com. You'll find a live chat link on the bottom right side of the page, and I will be chatting live with you on the morning of the big feast. So I look forward to sharing my holiday with you. Wishing you and yours a truly delicious, decadent Thanksgiving. And until next Sunday, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I thank you for listening, and I hope you continue to eat well. (laughs) 